Hey church family, welcome back to another Leroy UMC podcast. We're continuing a new series about Pentecost called Acts, the method of our story. John Wesley's story is the story of someone who found God at their lowest point, was given a new start, and who then grew closer and closer to God the further outside their comfort zone he got. Paul has the exact same three-part story. He converted while confused and helpless, scales fell from his eyes, and he grew closer to God while preaching to the Gentiles. In both cases, sometimes we find we are most a part of God's story when we are farthest from what we imagined our story was going to be. Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias. Well, friends, this morning, as we keep building up to Pentecost, we are continuing with our worship series that we are calling uh, Acts, the method of our story. Uh, The whole idea behind this worship series is that as we build up to, to Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit showed up, we are taking a look at the book of Acts, which tells the story of the earliest Christian church. And at the same time, we're also talking about the history of of our church, of our church tradition, the history of Methodism. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about how uh, the book of Acts and the early Methodist movement was all about bringing people to a personal experience of Jesus Christ, making us understand that the gospel story is our story. Uh, And this morning, we're taking a look uh, at one of the most Famous moments, I think, in the book of Acts, maybe one of the most famous moments in the Bible, uh, Paul's conversion. Uh, I'm talking about that compared with John Wesley, the founder uh, of our movement. Uh, however, we aren't, we aren't looking at the moment itself. Uh, Paul, Paul on the road to Damascus is Acts chapter 9. We're actually looking at Acts 22, a moment later on in the story, when, when Paul himself retells the story of of his conversion, that retells the story of the Damascus Road. It's interesting to see the way Paul understands it later on. So friends, our reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 1 through 16. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Brothers and fathers, listen to the defense that I now make before you. When they heard him addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. And then he, Paul, said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, educated strictly according to our ancestral law, being zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I persecuted this way up to the point of death by binding both men and women and putting them in prison as the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. From them I also received letters to the brothers in Damascus, and I went there in order to bind those who were there and to bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. While I was on my way and approaching Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? And then he said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I asked, What am I to do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up, go into Damascus. 
And there you will be told everything that has been assigned for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, those who were with me took my hand and led me to Damascus. A certain Ananias, who was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of by all the Jews living there, came to me and standing beside me, he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And that very hour I regained my sight and saw him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his own voice, for you will be his witness to all the world of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away, calling on his name. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, holy God, we have gathered and come to hear words of renewal, words of hope, words of new life, and so once again, only your words will do. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are few moments in the Bible more iconic, more glorious, more uplifting, or more joyful than Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Over the centuries, countless preachers, teachers, evangelists, even whole traditions have singled out this one moment as the ultimate example of a conversion experience, of what it looks like to suddenly come to believe in Jesus Christ. It is one of the most classic, hopeful, uplifting, altar-call-inspiring, evangelism-driving, I-have-seen-the-light moments in the entire Bible. However, I've always struggled a little bit with that classic interpretation. It's always felt a little bit like depicting the road to Damascus as a a glorious moment when Paul finally saw the light and got saved isn't quite what's reflected in the scripture itself. Just think for a moment about the way Paul himself describes that experience and that passage we just heard. Did anyone notice that nowhere in that description does Paul ever use the words joy, peace, wonderful, miraculous, or anything even close? In fact, far from being a joyful, saw-the-light conversion experience, the road to Damascus, when you think about it, may very well have been the single worst moment of Paul's entire life. Just put that famous passage into its broader context. Before he met Jesus Christ, Paul was a success. Everything was great for him. Everything was going right. Paul had been born to a really good family in a prominent city. He'd been raised around culture, wealth, and high society in Tarsus of Cilicia. Think Manhattan or Zurich or London. 
Paul had an impeccable resume. He was brought up in this city, in Jerusalem itself, at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the most revered and respected scholars at one of the most respected rabbinic institutions around. Paul had been a determined go-getter who had risen through the ranks to become a leader, an executive in his chosen field. I love how in verse 5, during his testimony, Paul tells the people, the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. Think about that. Paul was connected. Paul was known by all the most powerful people. Paul was on his way to making every plan every dream, every goal he had ever had come true. The story of Paul's life was perfect until he met Jesus Christ. Just moments after meeting his new Savior for the first time, Paul, who had always been a very physically fit, strong, capable guy, is left physically helpless. He loses his sight. He can't eat. In fact, he's so helpless, Paul says, he had to be led by the hand to Damascus, where he had to stay with someone else and rely on someone else to care for him. Paul loses his independence in the most frustrating way imaginable. As Paul sits and thinks, he comes to realize he has not only lost his strength, he has lost his faith, his certainty and understanding. Paul has to admit that he apparently does not have it figured out. In fact, apparently those people, those frustrating people that he can't stand and has hated for so long, apparently they might be right about a few things. But worst of all, what really hurts, what is truly devastating about all of this is that Paul's story was gone. The vision of his life that Paul had so carefully crafted, all those plans he had so meticulously laid, that story Paul was writing for himself was over. That is what made this maybe the worst moment in Paul's entire life. The fact that Damascus was the end of the story Paul had made for his own life. And the only thing left for Paul to do was ask, now what? In order to better understand Paul's experience on the road to Damascus, I think, once again, it's best to line Paul's story up with that other famous preacher and missionary we've been talking about, John Wesley. Like Paul, John Wesley, the, the great founder of Methodism, was a lifelong hotshot. Wesley was one of those people you meet who gets all A's without studying, who gets promoted without working late, is everyone's favorite without caring, and just seems to have it all without even trying. Annoying, aren't they? As a kid, John Wesley was one of his parents' favorite children. He was gifted, smart, and talented. He went to Ivy League Oxford University and became an Oxford Fellow, an Oxford Don, upon graduating. Not only that, 
John Wesley was a do-gooder. He spent most of his time serving in homeless shelters and working in prisons and ministering for others and leading Bible studies. And then, as if all of that wasn't enough, John Wesley signed up to be a missionary. Wesley went to a new colony in the Americas called Georgia, where Wesley planned to convert hundreds, even thousands of indigenous peoples and become one of the first to spread the gospel in a whole new world, put his name in the history books. That was his plan, that was his vision, that was the glorious story of his life, and when Wesley got to Georgia, it all fell apart. First, Wesley never actually met any indigenous Americans to convert. Then, Wesley became a minister, fell in love with a young woman who ended up choosing someone else. So, Minister Wesley, perhaps a little bit spiteful, denied her communion one Sunday, at which point her uncle threatened to sue him for surrender, and Wesley had to flee back to England, returning home a complete and total failure. All his carefully laid plans and great expectations were in ruins, and Wesley was left not only with very serious doubts about his faith, but with a very serious sense of hopelessness and grief. To put it another way, John Wesley suddenly found himself standing somewhere on that long road to Damascus where nothing seems to go the way we thought that it would. But what Wesley learned there is that sometimes it's when we feel at our lowest that we may find we are closest to Christ. Sometimes it's when we lose what we want that we figure out what we might need. And sometimes it's when our story ends that God's story begins. Like Paul, Wesley had to be led by the hand and compelled by others to keep going to church, to keep coming to worship, to keep going to Bible studies, even though Wesley was in absolutely no mood to. But one night at a Bible study he very reluctantly agreed to attend at a place called Aldersgate, something unexpected happened. As Wesley wrote in his journal that night, one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, and about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley couldn't explain how or why, but somehow, all at once, faith went from something that Wesley knew to something Wesley felt. Grace went from being something Wesley had always heard about to a part of his daily life that Wesley could point to, and the gospel went from being a story Wesley had read a dozen times to being a story he was living. 
Jesus Christ, forgiveness, sin, salvation, redemption, all of it suddenly became a very real part of his reality. And after that, everything changed for Wesley. He may have lost all the plans that he had made, but Wesley now saw new possibilities he'd never imagined before. Wesley found new things that excited him. He found new joys, new passions. He'd find a new home, a new family, a new career, a new start, a whole new chapter where Wesley once thought his story had come to an end. And as the years passed, Wesley found that the further away he got from the story he had been writing, the more he felt himself drawn into the story God had been writing for him, just like Paul. The Damascus Road is where everything fell apart for Paul, all his plans, his goals, his expectations, but it was also the moment when Paul suddenly found himself free to take up the new plans, new goals, and new life he had never expected to find. Paul became a Christian, an apostle, a church founder, taking the gospel he had once resisted to people he had long hated. And as the years passed, Paul found that the further he got from that person he had been and from the story he had been writing for himself, the more Paul became the person God meant for him to be and a greater part of the story God had written for him. That's the unexpected miracle that happens at Damascus, that sometimes it's only when our story comes to an end that God's new story for us can begin. We all write stories for our lives. It's in our nature. We all dream about that perfect life we might one day have. We all make plans for how to get there. We all make goals, write new chapters in our story on our way there. We all have a story that we write for our lives, and sooner or later we all come to a moment when the story takes a twist we didn't quite expect. It may not be the worst moment in your life, but we all have that moment when things just don't work out quite the way we expected them to. When we suddenly realize that that story we wanted isn't going to unfold the way we thought it was when we find ourselves on the road to Damascus asking, now what? But the good news about Damascus is that it may not be the most iconic, glorious, or joyful experience in our lives but sometimes it's when our story ends that we are finally free to take up the story God has been writing for us all along. I don't know what it was or what it might look like for you. Maybe it's the day the, the company reorganizes and you suddenly find 
you don't have a place in it. Maybe it's the day when you finally have to pare down and move. The day of the diagnosis, the day the kids move out, the day your strength fails and you need someone else to lead you by the hand and care for you, or the day you have to lead someone by their hand and care for them. I don't know what Damascus may be for you, but I know that Christ is still there at Damascus, ready to lead you by the hand to that new home that feels just a little bit warmer than we thought it might, the new job or the new place that gives more satisfaction than we imagined, those new people that make us laugh harder than we thought, that new role that gives us more purpose than we ever felt before to that new story that God has had in store for us all along. Damascus is the place that proves that there is no low point that is too low for Christ to reach us. There is no unexpected twist that God cannot use to make our hearts strangely warmer. And there is no end in our story that God cannot make into the start of God's story. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Holy God, long before we took our first breath and long before we ever knew you, you knew us and knew the plans that you had for us. Lord, you are the author of life and you have called us to make your gospel story into our story. So Lord, help us to never be afraid of any change, to never lose heart when things don't go according to plan, to never shy away from Damascus because you are the God of all things. And the end of the story we expect might just be the beginning of that story of new life that you call us to find. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed and that you are a blessing. Go in peace.